we are dealing with a molecular biologist, polyscientist, theologian, husband, speaker. Of, I mean, this guy's got all the answers we need right here. Oh, Lord. Um, I have you know, I would get aced by like a, um, a senior in high school right now in biology. I, I would say it's the largest obstacle today. If, if we're going to talk about apologetics, like apologetics is about, you know, answering people's biggest objections to Christianity. Uh, I've been doing this long enough to realize that most of the apologetic questions that we were used to be talking about are just not where this current generation is at. Hello, everyone. Dennis Allen with The Disciple Dilemma, along with my co-host, Raymond Monroe. We're talking with Lou Phillips, who's the director for church ministries at the Center for Faith sexuality and gender. What does that have to do with discipleship? Well, Lou's going to explain that to us. Lou is an apologist, evangelist, Oxford-trained theologian. He's a political science guy. He's had some molecular biology in his undergraduate work as well, so he's got a nice background to talk about a lot of the things that count here, along with his work directly with the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender. This is going to be a great exploration of singleness, marriage, discipleship, faith, gender, sexuality, the whole gamut here. We're going to run with this. Let's listen in as Lou joins us. Well, Lou Phillips, thank you very much for joining us today on The Disciple Dilemma. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, Raymond, it's really exciting to have you here from wherever it is you are. Where are you, Raymond? <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in Knoxville, Tennessee, right north of the Smoky Mountains. And this is where true Christianity is, all those Appalachian peoples. I've been listening to Bill Monroe and the bluegrass bands that mainly, of course, sing gospel music. <laughs> Righteous and holy are you. I'm a bluegrass fanatic. You know, people know that. <laughs> I've been criticized for having banjos in the background, so I got rid of rid of that scenery. And so Raymond is finally beginning to convert. Now, if we can just get you kind of rolling for Alabama, Raymond, life will be good. Life will be really good. What do you say? <laughs> I always pull for the opponent to Alabama's football team. I had a friend who went to Auburn who said if they were playing the Russians, he would be saying, go Black Bears. <laughs> well, enough of Raymond. Let's get back to the real world um, <laughs> as, as we talk through this. So, Lou, um, I'll, I'll pitch the first question at you. Today, as we folks are listening, we're, we're having a conversation about faith and sexuality and gender, and what the heck does that have to do with discipleship? And I have listened to Lou for a long time talk about a lot of interesting things, and I'm really grateful for his background. We're, we are dealing with a molecular biologist, polyscientist, theologian, husband, speaker. Of, I mean, this guy's got all the answers we need right here. Oh, Lord. Um I have, you know, I would get aced by like a, um, a senior in high school right now in biology. I haven't used my molecular biology degree since I graduated uh, about 10 years ago. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to flex that one. I, I know more maybe about the theology, which I'm not like vastly trained in, but yes, I have, I think my resume looks far more impressive than it actually is. Well, it, it, it's good to have the two intellectuals on the screen here. You know, we've got Raymond up here pitching chemical engineering and manufacturing engineering. That's his universe. And we'll hold you to your resume, even if you don't want to, you know, own it. <laughs> <That's great. laughs> uh, I know how to just say things on the spot, so we should be fine. We'll just pretend oh, like I know. <laughs> <laughs> You'll tell us everything you don't know. I like that a lot. That's, right, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's great. Well, okay, so I'll pitch, I'll pitch question one at you, which to me is for everybody listening here. 
what in the world is a the center for faith, sexuality, and gender? What do I make of that? And what in the world are you guys doing? Yeah, uh, thank you. Um, yeah, so the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender is a, a nonprofit that seeks to equip Christian leaders and churches in, in, to engage in the questions of sexuality and gender, uh, but to do so with theological faithfulness and courageous love. Um, and, and that's kind of where the, the sweet spot that we try to sit in, because uh, part of what we're trying to do is respond to uh, where we are as a culture, but it's also about possibly looking to the past and, and things maybe we've not done uh, either correctly or even just um, lovingly as Christians. And so we're really trying to show Christians that, uh, one, you don't have to change your theology to be loving, uh, but we also want to remind those who maybe aren't Christian or who have been hurt by the church that maybe some of their frustrations have been accurate. Uh, and we want to honor that. We want to actually repent of the ways that maybe we haven't spoken uh, from Scripture specifically, but maybe have actually uh, said more than what Scripture had to say in order to make ourselves feel better versus saying, what is this all about? And then ultimately, we want people to know and love Christ. And we just find that this is one of the largest um I would say it's the largest obstacle today. If if we're going to talk about apologetics, like apologetics is about, you know, answering people's biggest objections to Christianity. Uh, I've been doing this long enough to realize that most of the apologetic questions that we were used to be talking about are just not where this current generation is at. They're not, they're, they're important. We still need to know, uh, what evidence for the resurrection is, can science and faith uh, be compatible, all these things. Those are important things, but they're not the primary place that I think Gen Z is at. So we're trying to, um, engage those questions, but it's it's not just simply about Gen Z. Uh, that's the thing, because if their parents and their grandparents all, aren't also on the same page, uh, it's a very inconsistent worldview. And we're trying to help bridge that gap. And the way we do that, we do that through some of the curriculum. We have like five online curriculum uh, trying to help Christians think critically about this. We also have pastoral papers. Uh, my boss, Preston Sprinkle, uh, Dr. Preston Sprinkle, he's written multiple books on this. He actually just came out with one this year on... Um, yeah, does the Bible support same-sex marriage? 21 affirming arguments. And then his response to saying, this is what I think. But I think the the, the historic Christian sexual ethic has 21 more robust answers to wh what maybe the affirming arguments are today. So yeah, just really trying to get people to think critically about this and to remind them that like, we're not more loving than scripture. Mm. Like we can't be like, if God is, if mm. Christianity is true, uh, we can stand firmly in that and not be ashamed of what we believe but that doesn't mean we don't have to start maybe possibly, possibly changing some of our posture, some of the things that we held tightly that maybe aren't so Christian, they're more cultural, uh, and then hopefully point people to the gospel. Hi, folks, it's Dennis. This is just part one with Lou Phillips. There's a lot more to come when we start talking about discipleship. We're taking a brief interlude on part one, and we're about to jump back in on the idea of marriage. So let's listen in as Lou joins us again on The Disciple Dilemma. I like the uh, I like the direction you're going, so this is going to be fun to explore. I want to hear things about posture, the kind of pushback you get from Christians later as we go through this. Um, well, for the moment, may the Lord have mercy on your soul. Here's Raymond. <laughs> yeah, that was a, actually, Dennis, this is one of the few times you've said that, that it's appropriate. <laughs> so, you know, the, the, the tension that you're talking about is really challenging because on the one hand, I, I have clear scripture that says certain things are sinful. And on the other hand, I have scripture that says I'm supposed to be um, loving to all people, especially those who make a profession of faith, especially those. And 
I have Paul saying there are certain things that are clearly in the scripture of the Old Testament that are matters of indifference now, or at least personal responsibility, things like food offered to idols and keeping the Jewish holidays. How do I, as an individual, deal with gender and sexuality by allowing others the responsibility to come to their own opinion, remain orthodox in my faith, and yet show love to people I fundamentally disagree with? Yeah. Oh, Raymond, I love this question. And I think you're I think you're really spot on to where we're at today, because um, uniquely, I would say uh, the church collectively, truly, I could say capital C church. Uh, and you can pick any version of that church since the inception of the church a few thousand years ago uh, has unanimously agreed on this conversation, like that marriage is a one flesh union between one man and one woman. Um, and it's only until recently in history that that's now up for debate. And we're seeing a lot of division within churches on on have we misread scripture? Uh, and I think a lot of a, uh, what I would just say more of a progressive theology, not necessarily politically, a progressive theology in, in affirming churches and, and Christians. Uh, mm-hmm. Many of them are saying, I think we've we've uh, read our cultural context into this enough and not actually did enough exegesis here and, and, and a good hermeneutic of saying what what is scripture actually saying? What is Paul actually trying to say? Uh, I would still f- I would firmly say I, I've never been more convinced that scripture is actually very clear. Uh, on this. I see my friend's point of view. I see what they're trying to say. Um, but I think you have to do a little bit of hermeneutic gymnastics to get there. Uh, and I'm not saying that as a cheap argument to them. I think they're, they really are wrestling. And part of that wrestle, I think comes with the pain that the church has, has, um, afforded to so many people regarding this conversation. And so the thing that we try to say when, when it comes to sexuality, and gender is like, because everybody wants to know where is this on the spectrum, right? Is this a primary issue? Are we talking, is this salvific or is it secondary? Is this baptism? Is it Calvinism versus Arminianism? Where do we yeah. place this? Um, and you're probably not going to like this answer because maybe it's more <laughs> nuanced than uh, people want. And I do think that's probably a frustrating point we are today. I think we're in a spot where nobody wants to be nuanced. We want to either be like, you're either 100% against me or you're 100% against me. Everything's black and white, all these Look, we we firmly believe the gospel is very clear, and there are certain things within scripture that are black and white. For example, what is marriage? We think marriage is so clearly uh, designed, but we would we wouldn't put this in the category of primary, um, though it's close. Uh, but we wouldn't put it in the in the degree of secondary, where you and I can just agree to disagree, right? Uh, we may disagree with whether you should do infinite uh, uh, baptism or full adult immersion. Um, but even churches that disagree with that are still linking arms uh, and saying, look, this is my brother and sister in Christ. What do we do with those that are maybe saying, no, the the, his, the, the historic Christian sexual ethic is wrong. There's actually this trajectory ethic saying that God is opening up the door for marriage to be between a man and a woman. And that gender is really a construct and God wants us to live in freedom in that. Um, this is where it gets tricky and it's going to be case by case specific. I, I'm going to say very like from my own opinion, I think we as a center would say, no, we, we think they're wrong. Like we do. And, and we're not afraid to say we're wrong, but because that's, that's the point of discourse, right? We truth is exclusive, right? That's the nature of what truth is. Uh, and if you have two, um, two views that have fundamentally different outcomes of it, you can say that one, one of them is wrong, right? If you, if two things are saying adamantly, po- not opposed, but adamantly different things, one is right and one is wrong. And, and, and I would say, the most accurate reading of scripture would be pointing to um, 
that God has a clear design on this. But in that, this is where I think the new, where people, because people want us to just stand there firmly and be like, see, it stands, like, just stand with your Christian faith. It's like, yes, for for sure. But then I want to ask the average Christian is, so what is marriage then? Why did God create us as sexual beings? Because if the only thing you have to offer this next generation and yourself is that marriage is about finding someone you love um, and having a family and making sure that it's a man and woman, um, I think it's a very incomplete view. And I think people are getting frustrated with that view because it still is a very me-centric view of marriage. And I don't think this is, if I'm going to say anything that's like my passion is I think we have so idolized the gift of marriage that it is actually doing it a disservice to society mm-hmm. and the church as a whole. And if we don't start addressing that, I think this issue is going to be much larger. And I think we're just not just now starting to see the problems that are arising from it. Yeah. Let me, let me poke on that just a minute. Yeah. I, I'll come back and poke on something else in a minute, but poke on that. Um, having a Lutheran background and being really committed to discipleship means all of my vocational roles are discipleship responsibilities, not just evangelism, not just all the churchy stuff, Bible study and that, but being a good engineer is discipleship. Being a good father is discipleship. And so how would you articulate a different view of marriage other than is a, a a way to a naturally grow a family and 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 be married. How would you make that a bigger Christian calling? That's what I thought you were saying in all of that, but I wasn't sure. Yeah, no, I, look, and I, um, I spent the majority of my life single. Uh, I was single for 29 years, um, kind of like uh, the black sheep in my family, youngest of six kids. All my siblings were married early 20s. Um, I think marriage is a beautiful gift. My parents have been married for almost 50 years. Uh, what a cool thing that God has designed ultimately for our flourishing and for um, our pleasure, our good, and ultimately uh, for something much larger than ourselves. And what I would say that I see the most when I ask Christians, what is marriage? Uh, it's they got I got two prohibitions is what it is. You got to wait until you're married to have sex. It's got to be a man and a woman. Both of those things are true, uh, according to scripture. But what I say is that they're incomplete because if we are to take, if we're to take the the foundation of our faiths that I would say uh, very seriously, which would just be what John one and Colossians one says, which is that it's all about Him. Like the very foundation of a Christian faith is like it's all about Jesus. Like it it starts with Him, it begins with Him, it ends with Him. Everything is pointing to Him. Everything, and I think we're really good at saying that about everything in our lives except marriage, because we actually treat marriage as this gift he's created for us. Oh, and by the way, it points to him kind of uniquely as, as Paul says in Ephesians. And I think we've actually flipped it. I think I think we've made him the metaphor and us the real thing. And I, what really changed my whole view on this um, is in the book of Matthew, when, when the Sadducees come up to Jesus, and they're trying to stump him, right? The whole, this woman was married to this brother, but he died. And you know the law. She, her other brother has to marry him. And his, or his other brother has to marry her. And down to seven brothers. Nobody had a kid with her. Who is she married to? And Christ says those profound words that you and I, I don't think, wrestle with enough, which is, uh, by the way, you misunderstand scripture, nor know the power of God. Because in the in the resurrection, not in heaven, in the resurrection, which, which we're all going to, that's the goal of Christianity is the resurrection, not a theory going into heaven. There's going to be a new earth. We're going to get new bodies. There's going to be food. There's going to be drink. There's going to be all these things that we know and love, but there's not going to be marriage, which is odd 
And we don't wrestle with that. And the question is why? Like, why is there no more marriage? And I think, you know, the quick answer is if you, if we as Christians have the unique perspective that our, our whole worldview is complete in the sense we know where we're going. The, the book of Revelation lets us know how the, the climax of this whole thing is that God himself is going to commune with humans. There is going to be a wedding. And that wedding is what actually this wedding was created for. And so my greater view for, for Christians, it, it, this greater discipleship is like, you better view your marriage fundamentally, foundationally as a pointer to the real marriage. More than procreation, more than family development, more than romance, more than companionship. What it's actually about is accurately reflecting to and pointing to the one marriage that's actually going to exist for all eternity. And and one way I try to show Christians why I think this is true is, yes, we see this in Matthew, but it's kind of like it's I would say it's kind of like an maybe tangerines to oranges versus an apples to oranges kind of thing. It's similar to to animal sacrifices. Like, what were they? And why? Like, yeah. well, they atoned for sin. Well, not really, actually. Hebrews is very clear. It's like, actually, they never atoned for sin. They were pointing to the sacrifice that would atone for sin. They were placeholders. And then what happens? Christ comes on the playing field, sacrifices himself as the Lamb of God on the cross. And what does it do? It renders the rest of them obsolete. It's like what they were doing, it's it's fulfilled. In yeah. the end, there's no more marriage the way you and I think about it, because what it was actually for, primarily has been fulfilled. It's all about him. It's all going to him. So and sorry, said, sorry, can I say one, one last thing? I know I'm speaking a lot. No. And then after that is when, see, this is where I would flip it and say, okay, but what about procreation? Seems like one of the first commandments, right? For one of the first, the, the, the creation mandate, right? Well, what does it look like? Doesn't it make far more sense if it's actually about Christ? If it's all pointing to him, it's all about his marriage. And it says that in him, is life and no other life. So doesn't it make sense that the relationship that's supposed to point to him is a relationship that can actually produce life? Same thing with romance and, and companionship. He says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And yet we're supposed to have a permanent union here or, or this idea that even just pleasure, he says at my right hand, pleasure is forevermore. And yet this relationship is supposed to point to the relationship of me and my bride, which is the God, the people of God. Like, so to me, it's like, I don't think we have a big enough view. I actually think we think we value marriage, but we've actually diminished it by making it about ourselves versus making it about him. You've been listening to part one, Lou Phillips, the director of church relations at the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender, talking with us about singleness, marriage, and being a disciple. Part two coming up is going to go with Lou's conversation about what it really means to live life as a disciple in an era where sexuality is God. What a fascinating conversation that'll be. Stick with us on part two. It'll be following Lou's part one episode in about two weeks. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.